Hi, everybody, and welcome to That's Life, the show where we no longer call it ping pong as it is officially called table tennis. Good afternoon, folks, and thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, and general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here every Thursday at 2 p.m. As I hope to bring you a little entertainment, a little news, and a little relief that the life you are leading is not nearly as wacky as mine. Coming to you from the home of the Nachum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side, I am joined by my handy-dandy partner, Avrami, and by David, who we also refer to as Duke, who is continuing his training here at the Nachum Siegel School of Broadcasting. David, put on your mic. How you doing? Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, this is the first time you're uh, engineering me. Yeah, it's um, hopefully this will become you know a, a part of. <laughs> hopefully, you won't be life. scarred permanently. <laughs> we um we should let everybody know that I am the only graduate and was valedictorian that year of the Nachum Siegel School of Broadcasting, as I like to joke, because here at the Nachum Siegel School of Broadcasting, we throw people into the water. Don't bother if we've ever asked you if you could swim. And then watch you from the side and see how it goes. But David actually came in with a lot of swimming training, shall we continue the metaphor. So we welcome him, as always, to the staff, but now behind the board, where I have to say is my least favorite place to be. Well, it's good that it's my favorite. Yeah, I was about to say, you stay there, I'll stay here, we'll do just fine. If you are a new listener to the show, thank you for taking a break from your day to tune in. And if you are a returning listener, thanks as always for making us part of your day. If Miriam L. Wallach once a week is just not enough for you, do what birthday girl Deanie Levin of Ramat Bay Chemish does. Hey, Dean. Visit me on my blog at yourthatslife.com. You can friend me on Facebook or send me an invite on LinkedIn. You can also shoot me an email, Miriam at NachumSiegel.com. Please do not send me an email to the Dear That's Life email. It seems that I have exceeded the limit of how many emails I'm allowed to receive there. And no, I don't know how to archive them. Please also follow us on Twitter, NachumSiegelNet, all one word. As you know about Twitter, please make sure to follow us. We have a lot of interesting posts all, I should say, a lot of interesting tweets all day long. And Jewish Radio World is always available to you on Facebook. Let's go to our favorite segment. Yep, you love that crackle. What does the fortune cookie say? I got a really funny fortune cookie the other... Ooh, I got a really funny fortune cookie the other day before I went to the kosher food and wine experience. Um, at Chelsea Pier is brought to us by our friends at Kedem, which was a phenomenal night. It was my first time going. I really had a good time. It was cold. I will tell you that much. It was cold that night, but it was actually really, it was really cool. There was a lot of fun food there, and, and I got this fortune cookie. For some reason or other, I decided to open up a fortune cookie without even being on the air. I was just in the mood for something crunchy. David knows that I was crazy hungry that day. Anyway, um, I had been talking about it all day in the studio. Anyway, I got some kind of fortune about um, being charming and how I should use my charm um, in, in limited doses for the rest of the day or something like that, or use it sparingly. I'm like, huh, all right. You are a very charming person. Oh, thank you very much. And by the way, I'm even more charming with a glass of Merlot in my hands. Okay, so here is today's fortune cookie. Your desire to protect the people around you is appropriate. Appropriate? It's not valiant. It's not laudable. It's appropriate. Shoot, that's a harsh fortune cookie. I'm not into that one. Anyway, let's take care of some business. I need some better fortune cookies. I think somebody out there needs to send me a, like, a major stash because clearly the one I got slim pickings going on here. I need to get some Chinese food in the next week. Uh, today is ballet day. February 7th is ballet day. I'm not exactly sure what we're supposed to celebrate, but I guess, oh, we, well, I'm so silly. We share space here in this building, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on the, on the Lower East Side with the Paul Taylor Dance Company. So I applaud everyone upstairs. <clears throat> Excuse me. I applaud everyone upstairs at the Paul Taylor Dance Company. And I thank them for making me feel completely out of shape and like a big fat blob every time I come into the building. It's also E-Day. For those people who are um, math aficionados, it says E in quotation marks, so lowercase E. I don't know what that means, but one of the happiest days of my life is when I passed statistics at Stern College and never had to take another math course in my life. Maybe exponent? Maybe. I don't know. I have no idea. So if you know, email us because remember at the com email address, please email us or message me on Facebook because frankly, I have no idea what this means. It's also wave all your fingers at your neighbor's day. I guess that means to wave and not to, um, you know, I don't know, do some kind of funny motion with your fingers. I'm not sure what that means. It's also dump your significant, uh, dump your, <laughs> dump your dead weight significant other week. Yes. Dump your deadweight significant other week. For those people who celebrate Valentine's Day or know what it is, 
Um, it seems, I thought this was funny to add, it seems that this is the week to do, to dump your dead weight ex, uh, soon-to-be boyfriend, ex-boyfriend because you always do that the week before Valentine's Day. It is celebrated the week before de- Valentine's Day. So I thought that was a funny little tidbit. So E-Day. Uh, oh, you looked it up? I looked it up. Oh, see, this is why we keep David around. Go, David. It's the mathematical constant E, which is 2.7. So February 7th, which is 2.7. Oh. You know what? I can get through the day now. I don't know what a constant E means. I know what a silent E is. Do you know what the Euler number is? Nope. And here, again, happiest day of my life is when I finish statistics that's turned college. So we're going to move on with our day. It's also Children's Authors and Illustrators Week. And actually, um, you can check out, there's a new Dr. Seuss exhibit um, going on in Manhattan in in which they feature some of his favorite hats. If you know, the cat in the hat always wears a hat. The The 500 hats of Bartholomew... Biggins? Higgins? I can't remember the title of the book right now. Anyway, um, all, Dr. Seuss was known for some of his funniest favorite hats, and he used to go to dinner parties wearing these funny, ridiculous hats. So the I, I'm pretty sure – Can you, David, do me a favor and look that up. I think it's the New York Public Library is doing this exhibit. So if Children's Authors and Illustrators Week is something that you would like to celebrate, go check out this um, Dr. Seuss exhibit, or at least read your children – uh, the Lorax, because it is just a phenomenal book, and I love... What's wrong? Okay. And I love looking at the truffle of trees. It's also Freelance Writers Appreciation Week, so that's my shout-out to Michael Orbach, whom I adore, who actually has a new piece in Tablet Mag. Um, it's International Coaching Week, and this will be something I celebrate. It's Just Say No to PowerPoint Week. Now, it's easy for me to just say no to PowerPoint. Why, David? Because as you can imagine... I have no idea how to make one. Okay. <laughs> All right. What did you find out? Did you find the exhibit? It's the 500 hats of Bartholomew Cubbins. Cubbins. Oh, my bad. My bad. I'm embarrassed. Okay. And Bartholomew Cubbins. The New York Public Library. All right. I was right about that. Okay. So the New York Public Library. Definitely make sure to check out that exhibit as part of Children's Authors and Illustrators Week. You are listening to That's Life. I am Miriam L. Wallach. And as we know, crazy follows me everywhere. And this week, it followed me on the Long Island Railroad. Now, one of the things about my new phone, my iPhone is that I have, um, even I have successfully um, associated a different sound or ringer to all the different functions that go out on my phone. I know David is impressed by this because I couldn't figure out how to print something from my uh, laptop the other day. But anyway, um, every time I get a text, there's a little bell that my that rings out of my phone. And it's actually a very pleasant sound. So I was sitting on the train and my phone was not on vibrate because it's not a library. Anyway, and this woman says, do you know, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. And I looked at her and I said, no, it means I got a text. <laughs> and she looks at me and she goes, no, it's from a movie, A Wonderful Life. I'm like, no, it means I got a text. So I don't think she appreciated my cynicism, but I wasn't really feeling the moment, to be very honest with you. But that was, uh, she wasn't, she wasn't totally taken aback by my sarcastic wit shall we say she was more um she was placating me she like let me go wish me a good day and got off the train i think at a stop that was not hers because she needed to get away from me anyway um you're listening to that's life on the knockham siegel network this is that's life and i am pleased to introduce my first guest attorney woodmere resident and fellow athlete (laughs) not triathlete that's for sure (laughs) azriel gans joins me here on the air today at That's Life. And actually, um, though Azriel and I talked off the air about um, the trials and tribulations of running, cycling, and all the other crazy things that he does, he actually is joining me on the air for a completely different reason. Um, Azriel and his wife are a successful OHEL foster care uh, story. And actually, they are featured on the homepage, and they actually held a parlor meeting last week in their home in Woodmere because... OHEL is currently experiencing a shortage of foster parents. Azriel, thanks for joining me. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I know you've been on the air with Nahum before. Um, when I got the the flyer last week letting me know about the parlor meeting and the reason behind the parlor meeting, I was pretty shocked. I didn't it didn't even occur to me that there would be a that there could be a shortage of foster care parents. What 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 seems to be going on? So the reason there's a shortage is because of the unique nature of what OHEL does in the foster system. Um, there are plenty of foster parents, 
who are certified. Okay. But what happens is that the a- ACS, which is the, or the, the city agency that handles kids in the system, will call um, OHEL with any Jewish kid. And OHEL has a very limited period of time to place that kid in a Jewish home. If they can't do it within that time limit, then the kid goes into the regular system, mm. which could be a non-Jewish home. What OHEL needs is our families of all kinds to fit any particular kid. So a kid can come from a Sephardi home. You want to try to fit him in a, in a, in a family that makes mo- the more sense, a Hasidic family, a modern Orthodox family, a completely irreligious family. It can, they can have siblings where you need someone who can take two or three kids. So they, the, the, the reason for the shortage is really that they have to have the ability to quickly place families, uh, kids and families of all different types. So you had you held a parlor meeting at your home last month, say Shabbos, and actually driving down your block, I noticed. I mean, un, under uh, other circumstance, the, unfortunately, the first thing that would go through my mind is who's sitting shiva. You know, on right. a Matzei Shabbos, when you see a whole bunch of cars parked in one general area, and then I remembered that you were hosting this parlor meeting. So was the turnout as good as it looked? Yeah, we had about um, about a dozen um, nice. families, which is really good. We were pretty pleased with that, and again. I didn't expect 50 families because the people who came were very, very serious about it mm. and uh, very focused and, and asked a lot of really great questions. So, you know, if 12 families come and we can get, you know, even half of them to join, I think, uh, I think OHO will consider that a very ser- uh, successful uh, event. Are people hesitant um, more than usual, I would say, about becoming foster parents because of the current financial situation, because of the cost of yeshiva day schools, because of cost of raising a child in the first place? That well, they struggle sort of, not sort of, but they struggle to take care of their birth children or their biological children before taking another child into their home? Well, that's a, good, that's a really good question. And um, the answer is they may, but they, it shouldn't because OHEL covers um, all health costs, mm. um, wow. all, all yeshiva costs, and day camp um, for kids in the foster system. So um, you get, as a foster parent, you get a very modest um, stipend from the city every month, about five $600, um, you know, cover clothing and incidentals and things like that. Which, uh, which in the five towns will cover one week at Gourmet Glot. Yeah. Well, as I said at the, uh, as I said at the meeting, if you're in it for the money, you're in the wrong business. <laughs> That's uh, what we say about education. Yeah. Right. So you're, so, but, but look, the, the, the main cost, that, uh, uh, as you put it, of raising a child in a in a in a from home, which is tuition is, right. and and healthcare, are covered. So, uh, so that's not something people need to worry about. Do yeshivas hear that you're, you know, for example, you're registering a foster child or an OHEL foster child and just wave it under the door and say, you know, we're happy to take in the child. Let's forget about the tuition, or they do it to the best that they can. I think they. Um, I don't really know the particulars, but I think OHEL works with them mm-hmm. and 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 works out the arrangements. Our experience with the yeshivas over the years has been great. But besides the financial end, which I don't really know about, uh, th- they just go out of their way to to be so helpful. Can so. we talk about your success story? Sure. <laughs> so how tell- about my how about my failures? Well. well- <laughs> That's another show <laughs> because we're about to talk about mine. No, but seriously, let's talk about your success story. Sure. Um, you've been featured in the newspapers. Again, you're featured on the homepage. You've told your story a number of times. How did you guys decide to uh, to take in a foster child who then you adopted and made her your own? Right. Well, we our, our fostering experience goes back way beyond um, our, our daughter. Um, we started about 14 years ago. We were certified. We were inspired by another family in Woodmere, the Libbins, and and really liked what we saw. Right. We decided to um, to uh, get certified, and almost immediately after we got certified, we took in two boys, uh, two brothers. Um, we had them for almost a year. Um, continue to maintain a relationship with with uh, with the boys even fourteen years later. Wow, nice. Um, how how old were they when they came? They to were you? four and five. Wow. Yeah, and all you were he- able to keep them together. All hell broke loose <laughs> the, the, the second they came in the house. We were completely uh, unprepared for that, but uh, we managed. I would say, you know, my wife mostly managed. Nice. So um, it, it was, you know, it was very. It was a challenge for sure. Right. Um, but you know, we. I think you know, we we did we we did what we were asked to do, and and you know, we what you're asked to do is provide you know structure, stability, love, um, and and really to make the kids feel safe and secure. And um, so that was our first experience. Um, 
one of the boys actually came back to us a couple of years later for another year. And then we've had some shorter-term um, uh, foster uh, experiences. Did those brothers go back to their their, their parents? No, they didn't. Oh. Um, they they uh, It's a very long story. I'm not really at liberty to, that's fine. to tell you that's details fine. That's about fine. it. So we can move on to the other part. Yeah. So um, then in July of 2005, um, I had just moved jobs six weeks earlier. I was sitting at my wow. desk. In Manhattan, and I got a call from my wife Sarah, and she said that Ohel just called. They have a ten-week-old Russian girl. They thought she was Russian. She's actually Bukharian. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, the mother for people had, who don't know, that is different. <laughs> that is right. Different. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go on. Um, so she um, and and she said, uh, you know, they don't know much. The mother apparently has postpartum depression. Uh-huh. And, you know, they'd like us to take her for three months, but we like, they need an answer. You know, right well, now. well, actually, she asked me, what do I think? So I said, um, well, you know, as a, since the burden is mostly on you, if it's okay with you, um, it's okay with me. So she said, good, because I already told him yes. <laughs> um, what Smart happened, woman, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's very, if you know, if you know my wife at all, she's really not like that at all. She's um, very methodical. Oh. So this was completely so impulsive, so impulsive. not like her, so not like her. Got it. And the the backstory is that, um, and you know, as I said in the beginning, Ohel has a certain amount of time to place a kid. They had a half an hour to place <gasps> this girl, young lady. Why? Um, because it, it's complicated. She was in the system for a while, and ACS really wanted her placed. So um, they had Holy a half cow. an hour. So they started dialing for dollars, basically dialing for Holy families. Holy cow! Before they called Sarah, they called another woman. The woman said, I got to talk to my husband. I'll call you back in 10 minutes. When she didn't call back in 10 minutes, they called Sarah. They were just going down the list wow. of likely people. Sarah said it on the line, on the wire, said yes. A minute later, the woman called back and said, I'll take, <gasps> I'll take her. Wow. <laughs> so, oh, I have the chills. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, she came the next day, and um, you know, three months turned into six months, turned into a year. And then it became clear that... Um, it wasn't going to, you know, th- that the, the goal of of of, uh, of Ohel was not going um, to be return, to return return so, her so. to to her her family, but adoption. And um, on Lagba Omer, four years you know later, we we uh, formally adopted her. It's amazing. And now she's in second grade. Unbelievable. And, uh, she, and I I mean I can tell you from living in the neighborhood, she's a beautiful little well-adjusted girl. I mean, it's 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 a phenomenal story. What do you what do you tell parents who are on the fence and who look at you and say they made it work, and they're happy, and this is a success story? The the um, what I tell families, I'm 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 brutally honest with families, because you, you don't want someone going to a situation into fostering if they're not you know right. eyes wide open. And at that meeting, you know, I was joking around with the OHEL people there. You know, do you really want an- me to answer these questions? Because I'm, I'm, I'm completely forthright with with families. They, they they should know what they're getting into. Right. Absolutely. The reality is that almost everyone who goes into the system has issues. Like, look, all kids have issues. Right. I was about to say, you want to list my issues? You want to talk about my failures? <laughs> no. Well, all kids have issues. But right. The kids who come into the foster system often, you know, come from dysfunctional families. Right. They could be victims of abuse or neglect. Um, even it, it's really amazing because even little little kids who you wouldn't imagine are affected are affected by their early um, uh, upbringing. A baby who isn't held, mm. you know, can have issues that you can't even imagine that come out years later. Right. So, so most of the population that comes into the foster care system. Um, are, are, are in that kind of population. So what I tell parents is, if you're a good parent, you can be a good foster parent. The kids need what every kid needs, which I said before, which is you know love and right. structure and stability, humor, all those things. But they need more of it. That's how I put it. So they're, they can be challenging, but the rewards are great. And how many of those parents, of those families who came last month, say Shabbos, do you think are going to follow through? I think the, the people who came were very, very serious. Um, and I think that, uh, I think the majority of them will, um, what does it take to get certified as a foster parent? Uh, well, you, you know, you meet with people at OHEL and then they talk to you and they, 
you know, they sort of get your the um, your family situation, how many rooms you have. It, it, you know, it, I was about to say practically, they have to make sure that you got space for another. Right. Ma- yeah, absolutely. absolutely. They're practical issues. They take right. a, a you know, they do a home visit, and you know, they meet with you. And then if you decide to go forward, um, you do something called MAP training. Uh, M-A-P-P, which I don't know what it stands for. Okay. Uh, David, what does MAP stand for? (laughs) (laughs) Well, because one of the reasons I don't know what it stands for is because when we did it back in the olden days, they didn't have MAP training. You make it sound like you're a thousand, by the way. For those people who know Ezreal, they know that he's a cyclist. He was a runner. I mean, as a person who sees him very early at the gym, by the way, are you still going? I I don't. You left? Yeah, I work at it at Studio Ina. Oh, you go there now. Yeah, a lot of people left. But anyway, um, um, Azriel makes it sound like he's 102. But, uh, I'm only half that. Oh, stop a it. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so there are practical issues. Right. And then you do the map training. Um, the map training is very intense, and um, you really get trained. And, and again, when I said when we started our first assignment, our first foster care, um, we really know what hit us. Wow. I think it's much, much better now with MAP training because I think that the training is much more extensive and they go through much, much more than they did before. That's um, – and how long does it take? Um, there's a few sessions, something like – you know, I, I really actually don't even know. But, wow. But, um, you know, it, it's commitment. Well, I was about to say, like anything else, especially when you're, when you're giving birth to a child or you're taking another child or you decide to have a child – the um you're initially once you make that commitment you're in it for life i think people need to appreciate that right but but again the rewards are great the 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 impact it has had on our kids our our biological we have four children i was going to ask you how they adjusted with with the uh, the new younger sister uh they love it well they you know my youngest is 13 years older than than era so you know they uh like any little younger right. sister she can be very annoying <laughs> <laughs> Right, biological but, or otherwise, right? And I happen to have grandchildren who are older than my daughter. Oh, so I have one, that's and funny. one who's just a little bit younger. So she always has play dates. Yes, well, they're in Israel, but when when they come or when we go there, that she has play dates. That's great. Um, so it's it's great. My you know my my older kids are out of the house, um, but when they come, it's it's awesome. That's beautiful. Well, there's another parlor meeting that's taking place um, February twelfth at eight p.m at the home of Laser and Chani Calderon, 1120 Waterview Street in Farakway. You can RSVP at Chaya Suri, C-H-A-Y-A-S-U-R-I-E underscore Malik, M-A-L-E-K, at ohelfamily.org. I'm sure that they can also just call, they right? Can, or they can just come. Or you can just come. If you are somebody who is serious or interested or wants more information about being a foster parent, um, if, you've, if you're inspired by Israel or you want more information or you just understand the importance of giving every Jewish child a Jewish home, please join OHEL at Laser and Chani Calderon's home, 1120 Waterview Street, Farakaway, 8 p.m. on February 12th. Again, you can email Chayasuri underscore Malik at ohelfamily.org, um, or you can call OHEL directly, or you can just show up. Right. That's fantastic. What were you trying to say, David? You found out what MAP stands for? It's The full thing is... PSMAP, which stands for Partnering for Safety and Permanence Model Approach to Partnerships and Parenting and Parenting. Wow, you know what? Calling it MAP <laughs> is just so much better. <laughs> In this case, curiosity <laughs> killed the cat. Anyway, Azriel, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having and, me. And um, again, and I very much hope that um, that you that OHA has a lot of success from these two um, from these two parlor meetings. Are there other parlor meetings taking place outside of New York, by the way? Uh, not that I'm aware of. They're, they're trying to set one up in Brooklyn. Chayasuri is, is trying to set up the you know regional um, uh, parlor meetings all over the place. I, I didn't ask this before, but I guess I should have asked. Does OHEL place, because our listening audience spans the entire globe, does OHEL place children outside of New York? Mostly New York. Mostly in New York. Yeah. And if also, if, if someone can't make that parlor meeting, they should just call Batsheva Berger or Shelly Berger at at OHEL, and, um, you know, they'll get all the information they need. But Sheva Berger or Shelly Berger at OHEL. Fantastic. Again, Azriel, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. You're listening to That's Life on the Nachum Siegel Network, and uh, we've switched engineers midstream here because, um, as we said before, David is training, but I wanted to say hello to my handy-dandy usual partner. What's up, Avram? Things are going very well. Thank you. It was uh, interesting what you said there, midstream, and we're on the oh. stream. Oh! Wow, you're in a something something mood today, I gotta yep. tell you. 
It's called good. I was about to say, is this still uh, post Super Bowl happiness? Well, I don't know. It's there's a little bit of a wave, you know, when you're when you're. I'm not going to say my hometown because I was whatever, about to but... say back down. By the way, for those of you who don't know or don't pay attention, every time I we talk about it on the air, and I don't know why that is, but anyway, Avrami commutes to the Lower East Side from Baltimore. Now, most people think that that is absolutely crazy, myself included. Don't get me wrong. We don't want him to stop doing that. We love having him around. And to be very honest, if it wasn't for the fact that Avrami lived in Baltimore, then uh, all the programming post-Sandy would have been increasingly problematic because it was easier for Avrami to get to the studio from Baltimore than it was for me to get uh, here from Long Island and ZK to get here from Brooklyn. Yeah, that's happened a few times over the years, like really? where there was really bad snow in Brooklyn, so it was oh. easier for me to come in, you know, and and do the show from here than let's say have ZK come in to do the night show or something because I was it. already, you know, so it's Got happened. It. It's, it's been handy. um, but anyway, um, Mazel Tov to you on behalf of. Well, thank you. I I congratulate you on on behalf of anyone who lives in Baltimore. So I get two years now because last year was the Giants, right? And right. this year was Baltimore. So. You are. You are partying hardy for two years. Did you appreciate the way the fact that I said Baltimore? B-A-L-M-O-R-E? I don't do that, so I don't... Uh, I did notice it, but I don't do that yet, so... That's a shout-out to my friend, Elisa Sussman, Elisa Kravitz, who's a Baltimore native and actually lives in Moti Inn right now and conti- and consistently tweeted... Uh, sorry, I should say posted pictures on Facebook of her kids watching the Super Bowl in their Ravens jerseys <laughs> from Moti Inn, which was really, really cute. But uh, how was the partying in Baltimore? Well, I have, I went to sort of like two and a half parties. I was invited to one uh, with a bunch of people that I know, and uh, they were two barbecuing. And, and then an, a friend of mine who lives right next door, he couldn't go out because he was babysitting his kids. So he had his own kind of thing. So during the halftime show, I went to visit him and stayed for that first really huge run, the big play that yeah. started the second half. And as I was walking back from his house to the group house, that's when the blackout happened. Oh. You know. And uh, so then I stayed at that second house again for a while. And then I was like, you know, I need some fried food. So I went home and during <laughs> like a part woman of the, having a craving. Yeah. <laughs> during part of the, the third uh, quarter, I, um, I just I fried some chicken for myself and I caught the end of it. And then I went back to that first house because I was like, you know, I want to be around people who have been living in Baltimore forever. Get natives. really excited. Right. If the they're going to win the game. So right. I went back and I actually I have to say, I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm on the level of uh, the uh, Super Bowl MVP, but I did get an emergency you, call. You're, you're not? Right. Yeah. So, but I, to someone I am. I got an emergency <laughs> call. That's beautiful. Thank you, Toby. Yeah. <laughs> no, not Toby. No, no, not Toby. I, <laughs> I know. I got an emergency call during the Super Bowl. It was a friend of mine, and he's like, listen, you know, I've got here, I'm out of beer. I've got a couple of <laughs> Smirnoff ice, whatever. Can you find someone who will maybe trade me some beer uh, for a Smirnoff ice? And I said, listen, I'm going to see what I can do. I don't really have any on me, but I'll see what I can do. So I went when I went back to that first party, and they were just like had tons of it. And uh, so I brought him. And then when the host of that party. This sounds like a Judd Apatow movie, so, by the way. <laughs> when the host when the host of that party heard what I was doing. So he's like, yeah, take food and whatever else. So I showed, So this friend of mine, this upstairs neighbor, he was home with his son who was asleep. And his wife was at work. So another guy who was home who couldn't go to the game. I brought him two bottles of beer, uh, a hero sandwich, sure this wasn't a, frat a burger, party? a hot dog. <laughs> and I come to the door and the look on his face. He's like, he, he wrote after that. He's like, it was like Elio on He came to my house. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not the MVP of the Super Bowl, but I'm this guy's MVP for oh, this year's Super Bowl. So, MG. Yeah, it was good. That's hysterical. Yeah. And this then, is like the good Jewish man's kind of MVP story. I'm not like a big sports guy, but I like Super Bowl parties. I like, you know, Why people not? and food and stuff. Right. So and then the we were done and everybody was ecstatic. And then the owner of the house of the party, he's like, we got to go. We got to go to Models and, and buy the, oh. the, the clothes. And we got to go downtown where all the craziness is. And really nobody wanted to go. But he's like, come on, we got to go. Because you're all so, old and married yeah. and parents. Yeah. Well, the guy that was saying it was 50. He's like, no, no gotta, way. Yeah, he's like, we got to go right now. How often is this going to happen? He's lived in Baltimore forever. So oh, we all uh, so we all got on, five of us got in this car and we went to downtown Baltimore. That's and hysterical. it was freezing and it was crazy. The cars were hardly moving. People were dancing on the streets, <laughs> high-fiving each other. Everybody's smiling. Awesome. Music is happening. It was just like, you know, it brought everyone together for a little bit. That's so, beautiful. Yeah. It sounds like that. that's what they need in Chicago right now. But um, <laughs> that's hysterical. That's a really, really great story. Yeah, it was fun. Why not? Who doesn't love a good Super Bowl? I mean, obviously, those people who are in the dark for 34 minutes. Right. But, what of course, <laughs> by the way, you know, like every other um, stupid... You, 
stupid Long Islander, I should say, when the lights went out, every single one of us made, you know, LIPA jokes on Facebook. Oh, look, LIPA's also, uh, you know, uh, powering the Super Bowl. But I'm Yeah, up. I heard people said stuff like was comparing it to Sandy. I, I don't know, that kind of stuff. Comparing it, it to Sandy? Yeah, someone said because the power went out. I don't know. I, I just, uh, you know, that wasn't, that wouldn't have dawned on me to just, it was just Right, because you had power. Just <laughs> extra time to, to enjoy people's company and eat and drink. So. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. Sounds like a good Baltimorean. Anyway, that's a good story. And, um, I guess that would be the craziest thing to happen to you this week. Yeah. Not too bad. Okay, so on behalf of everyone in New York who didn't make it to the Super Bowl or cared about the Super Bowl, I'd like to, <laughs> besides, you know, the blackout, I'd like to wish you and every Balmorian a mazel tov. Thank you very much. You are very welcome. And actually, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to segue to our next guest who has nothing to do with the Super Bowl, but for all intents and purposes is still an out-of-towner. Rabbi Dr. Gil Pearl is the dean of the Margolin Hebrew Academy in Memphis, Tennessee, and he recently posted something on Facebook that attracted my attention. It seems that on February 11th, the Hebrew Academy, otherwise known as the Yeshiva of the South in Memphis, is hosting an evening called Hatred and Holy Books, which prompted me to do a little bit of research as to what, for lack of a better word, inspired the evening, and I was completely horrified to hear the story. Dr. Pearl, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. By the way, do you want to be Rabbi Pearl or Dr. Pearl? Oh, it does not matter. Gil also. I was about to say, do you want to be Gil? (laughs) No, it's all right. Actually, I think for all intents and purposes in this discussion, you should definitely be um, either be Rabbi Pearl, and and for that reason, I should say, and because and the reason for that um, is the story that I'd prefer you share as to what happened when you and a number of students spent a weekend away. Sure. Um, I just do. I do have to make a bit of a disclaimer before I begin, and that sure. this is that there's an ongoing investigation both on the state level and on the federal level. So I have to stay away from really any any details. Okay. But I can give you the the overall sense of of what took place and ultimately what we're doing in response. Um, our we we run a co-ed elementary school here, and then a boys and girls high school. Okay. And each of our high schools has as sort of the highlight of their year is a, a mid-winter trip that where the entire school goes together with their faculty, Rebeim, Rebeim's families, and um, usually it has two components. It has a Shabbos piece to it, you know, where we'll do a, a full-fledged Shabbaton, and then they'll continue on, and hopefully if the, weather's, the weather cooperates, there's a skiing piece, cool. and then something else. Very so cool. Sort of build team building and, and, and camaraderie amongst the kids. Right. And um, so this year we were going with our boys' high school, and this was their this was their annual trip. And our plan was to spend Shabbos in a city called Jackson, Tennessee, which is about an hour an hour and fifteen minutes from Memphis. What kind of a place is Jackson? It's a small city. Um, I mean, does it have a huge Chabad? Is this something I don't know about? Is this like a center (laughs) of Judaism in Tennessee that I haven't heard about? Not exactly. Uh, We did (laughs) learn afterwards that there is a a reform synagogue in Jackson that's actually been there for quite some time. A wonderful group of people who actually reached out to us and have been been really wonderful. Um, But that's it. The the mayor actually told me that there are about 30 or 35 Jews left in Jackson, Tennessee. So, no, it's it's not quite Teaneck or Woodmere. Right. So it was, and Um, it's not Memphis. No, no, it's not Memphis either. Right. It's true. Um, So we we, we went to the hotel on Friday, and uh, everything was just great. You know, we, we do what we normally do, and what most schools will do when they when they go away for a Shabbaton, is we took a conference room. It was a, a large room that was had a divider up down the middle, and we said we, we set up one half of it as a shul, and the other half of it we were going to use for our meals and for programming and sessions and you know all the things we would do over the course of a Shabbaton. Okay. And um, we actually had our kids brought along their musical equipment also so that they could play our cool. boys high school band, you know, do cool. Ruach and right. get everybody in the mood. And How many kids also, are we talking about, by the way? We have 48 boys currently wow. in, our, in our boys high school. Wow, so okay. It's a small school. Um, yeah, but I expect, you know what, 48 is not, 48 is not small. I mean, 48 is a great, consistent kind of a number. But anyway. It's, it works. And, and exactly. it's the biggest we've ever been. That's so great. Thank, thank God we're, we're, we're getting there. That's great. Um, 
and so we had pre-shabbos. So they had their their instruments there. We played pre-shabbos ruach. We had, uh, you know, um, we daven Friday night, and we ran sessions, and we had Friday night dinner, and uh, and oneg afterwards. And thank God things were really things were great. And um, you know, we we left the room late Friday night, um, with the understanding that the hotel was going to properly secure everything over the course of the night. Uh-uh. And um, <clears throat> we, early Shabbos morning, you know, I had my kids there, and they are younger than these, uh, teenage, these teenage boys, so they woke up earlier, not, to, not, right. not surprisingly, and they wanted breakfast. So I took them down to the room that we had set up as, um, you know, for, for eating, and quite honestly, when I first walked in, I really didn't notice anything. That's oh, the wow. Truth. Okay. I didn't, I didn't notice it. It was not as if the whole place had been ransacked or something of that sort. Right. Um, and uh, a little while later, our boys' high school principal, Rabbi Uriel Abetsky, came down with his kids, um, all doing the same thing I did. And uh, he was the first one who noticed that uh, a... Um, a message had been left for us oh, on, uh, on, on some papers by our musical equipment, oh. and that uh, musical equipment had been, there was a, um, it, it had been damaged, let's leave it oh, that way. Um, and, uh, oh, you know, bet. the message was clearly anti-Semitic in its nature. And, um, and I guess that I, when you say that you can't, um, you can't share with our listeners the details of some of the of the situation because it is an ongoing investigation that that's why we are specifically not being told and it's not it's not a it's not a criticism heaven forbid it's just that our listeners should understand that the reason you're not just coming out and telling us what was written is because you can't correct right okay you know and uh you know for the for the sake of making sure the process goes as it should you know and, and ends up the way you know, and, and proper justice is right. served. I, I I don't want to tamper and, and take any risks. No, I mean, am I allowed um, to? Am I allowed to mention? Uh, I, am I allowed to mention that someone was arrested in connection and charged? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I can tell. I mean, basically, what happened is that you know we f- we first found this first message, and I went and I let the um, I let the hotel manager know, and then I came back and, and started looking more, and and basically the. The effect that the person was looking for was every time it turned around, there was more and more. Oh, my. Uh, you know, at a certain point, we realized that we had to go check the shul side oh. of things also. And, was, the safer, uh, was the safer Torah affected? Yes. Terribly. Oh. Terribly. Um, everything had been put back together so that we, you wouldn't know until you opened everything oh, up. Oh, God. What hate? Um, what? I mean, malice. I mean, what? Yeah, it, it, was, it was really awful. That's and, unbelievable. Uh, you know, so obviously we told them that we needed law enforcement on the scene. I mean, my first instinct was that whoever, clearly whoever did this had tremendous hatred. Right. They clearly knew that we were there. And uh, my fear was that the person would come back with a gun. I don't blame you. And um, so I, I insisted that we have law enforcement there as soon as possible. Did you usher we, your own kids out of the room? I don't, I, I'm, I, I, our, our kids were not there. They, they had not woken up. No, your yet, children who you took for. Oh, my children. Yes, yes, they were out. They were out in the, in the hallway playing. Um, Rabbi Lebetsky was watching them. I was dealing with this in the uh. hotel. Um, <clears throat> but we intentionally woke our kids up later right. so that we got our staff up to try to talk about what had happened and what we were going to do. Um, by the time our kids woke up, everything that we had, you know, the whole area that we right. had and everything that we had brought with us was now a crime scene. Unbelievable. You know, and it started God. with local police, and then it was Homeland Security, and then it was Shoot. FBI. Um and uh, actually, eventually, the mayor came by. <laughs> this is, and you know what's funny? It's not. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think people need to understand that this was three weeks ago. Yeah. This wasn't. You know, these are not stories that. This is not a story that happened years ago. That all of a sudden, you know, everybody's getting together and having a kumbaya moment, and you're having, you know, and you brought together, um, um, facing uh, the uh, Simon Wiesenthal Center, et cetera, et cetera. Like this was three weeks ago. That's right. In America, in Memphis. This is a huge deal. This is a huge deal. And the fact that Homeland Security and an ongoing investigation, it sounds like this person, this uh, security guard that was arrested in connection with the crime, uh, is being charged with felony vandalism. But I don't understand why this is not being broached as a hate crime. It is. On the federal level, it's being ah, okay. to be pursued as a, as a hate crime as well. I remember a couple of years ago in Woodmere, I, it, was, it was Rosh Hashanah, I think it was the second day of Rosh Hashanah, and we came back from shul and our tires had been slashed. 
And I live in Woodmere. Our tires had been slashed, as had all of our neighbors who had, and of course you can imagine, there are lots of neighbors on my block in, in, in Woodmere who are, you know, from, um, surrounding our house. All of our tires had been slashed, and, and every one of these homes had a mezuzah. And um, we called, we, we called, um, we called the cops that day, actually. My babysitter called the cops, and um, a police officer came to our home, and he looked at me, he said, do you think this was a hate crime? I'm like, do I think this was a hate crime? The sun rose this morning. I mean, how obvious, I, 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 there's, it's as plain as the nose on my face. And I was so shaken to the core, I looked at my husband, and I said, that's it. Pack our bags. We're gone. Like, it's, you know, Higiyazman. If any was, if any time there was a moment where you looked and said, this is why we have passports, this, we are only safe 6,000 miles away in a, in a country with a blue and white flag, then then this was it. And of course, I still live in New York. But, um, <laughs> but nevertheless, it's, it's, it has to be such a horrific moment for you to walk in on a crime scene like that both as a Jew and as an educator and as a parent, especially when you have all of these kids who are in your in your custody that weekend. Yeah, there, there were so many pieces of it that just, you know, hurt and right. and, and it's just the sense of emotions that, I, that honestly I had never I had never felt before. You know, the the, the person that they arrested, you know, they got a confession from him and he said straight out that he did it because we were Jews. Oh, we represented Judaism. He made no he made no bones about it. Um, you know, I that day. Um, so clearly, we had to. We had to. Our kids, you know, had to daven without any sedurim. Oh <laughs> was, my! I didn't no even lady. think of that. Practically, there was not. There were no sedurim left. We had. You know, somebody had a sedur in their room. Wow. You know, our kids, everything that they had brought, um, even their their tefillin bags and everything, we we left in the room that we had set up as a shul. So they just couldn't. We couldn't access it. We couldn't take anything out over the course of the day as they were. In the process of, and it's not that every sitter was vandalized. Oh, but you, everything many is, of them were. Everything is included as a crime scene, right? Exactly. Okay, now I understand. Now I understand. Exactly. Wow. So, I mean, and one of the biggest questions that we grappled with all day was, were they going to have to take our safer Torah? Oh. And uh, and and they were. Even the people were the law enforcement were wonderful, and uh, you know the number of times I had to explain to people what a safer Torah was, what it was they were looking at it, how we. You know, and these are religious people, right. you know, so, but yet they look at something that looks like this, you know, and, and I heard, you know, when the security guard, when the, a different security guard first came in to uh, make his report to his supervisors, he talked about uh, our secret scroll <gasps> that had been, you know, damaged. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, and so trying to explain to these people that this is, this is Genesis and Exodus and, and Leviticus, you know, just like you study every Wednesday right. night at your right. Bible study <laughs> sessions, you know. Right. Like, it, that's what it is. You just can't read it, you know. And oh. it's been written in a way that, that we've been writing it for, for 3,000 years. Right. Um, but they had, they had tremendous respect. But that became the big question, is are they going to have to take it? And so what ended up happening? At a certain point, it was clear that they had to. It, oh, was, it wow. was the critical piece of evidence. But And not only that, but... It, it had to be uncovered, and uh, uh, and to watch them carry it out like in an evidence bag. Oh my gosh! Was just uh, it was was amazing. It oh was, my it was gosh! Just not something I ever experienced before. I'll tell you something. I I it's a it's a different it's a different level. It's a different kind of a moment. But um, right at, during Hurricane Sandy, we had to evacuate our house, and Baruch Hashem, we are lucky enough to have a safer Torah in our home. And um, there was a fire outside of our home connected to a, an electrical wire that was still attached to our house. So we really, once the fire started, once this electrical fire started, we had like 10 minutes to get out. And thank God everything was fine, but we had to evacuate our Safer Torah. And it was such a horrible moment to basically right. rescue the Safer Torah and take it out. And, and with flames going on, I mean, you know, you imagine the, the horrible visions of Jews sneaking out their Sifrei Torah with fires going around. And we were going to uh, another location just so that we'd have a place to stay. And we handed the Safer Torah over to friends of ours who were, didn't have to evacuate their homes. It was such an awful feeling. Even though I was giving it to another Yid, it was such an awful feeling for me to let go of our Torah. That, right. that uh, I, and even though I knew it was going to be in good care and it was going to be kept you know, appropriately, et cetera, et cetera. But still, just that giving over of the Torah in such a horrible moment. This wasn't for a simcha. He wasn't borrowing it for his son's bar mitzvah. This was at a time of, of tragedy, and it was a time of a tremendous stress. 
but um, I can only imagine what it was like for you to watch them take it away. It's awful. And unfortunately, it's still sitting in an evidence closet. I imagine it will be for a while. Right. And, they, and again, they've been wonderful. They let Rosnata Greenblatt, who's you know, really the, the rabbinic authority in this area, go and visit it and, and you know, give them instructions to care for it. And they've been remarkably respectful. But, uh, but yeah, it's not ours. It's not in our hands. We, we, we can't. It is literally it. not in your hands. Rabbi Dr. Gil right. Pearl from the Margolin Hebrew Academy in Memphis, Tennessee, joins us here on That's Life Today discussing this crazy story that happened to him and his faculty and a bunch of students who were away for a Shabbaton that prompted the February, February 11th event entitled Hatred and Holy Books. So tell me what's going on at this event and who's going to be there and how you feel this is going to be, this is like almost, you know, the good coming from the bad kind of a thing. Absolutely. Um, you know, as soon as we sort of caught, got, got ourselves together in the aftermath, uh, we, we realized that this, this, we needed to take this as an opportunity um, to, to educate. We needed to take this a, an opportunity to present ourselves from a position of strength, not from a position of weakness, to make this about inspiration and education, not about uh, you know, victimization. Right. And, um, and we wanted to do so in a way that, that we showed that this is not just an issue for Jews and the Jewish community. Um, that this is an issue for everybody and, and ought to concern everybody in the same kind of way. Um, <clears throat> and so our, we first reached out to a group here called Facing History and Ourselves. They uh, are they amazing. They yeah, are amazing. They're, they're amazing. a wonderful, wonderful yeah. group. And they have an office here in Memphis. They do a lot of because of Memphis's role historically um, in terms of race relations. And um, it's, it, it, there's a lot that happens here with Facing History. And we have a great relationship our school does with them we've worked with them you know really from an educational side before never from a public or communal side um, but that was really our first call and then uh, uh, within a few days we had been introduced to the simon wiesenthal center as well and rabbi abraham cooper was wonderful yeah he's and, also amazing you know, and giving us advice and uh and, and you know basically we all sort of came together and said let's take this opportunity to get out there and to, to make a statement a that um no, the first thing we wanted to, to accomplish was, you know, I realized that morning when I was telling people over and over again what it was they were looking at, you know, what, and that there was just total ignorance, just complete oh. ignorance. You know, and, and as historic a Jewish community as we have here in Memphis, there were only 9,000 Jews in the city of Memphis. It's, it's a tiny fraction of the population. Right. So the number of people here who also, they may have heard of Jews or seen us on TV, but really don't know you know the nuts and bolts of what Judaism is. You so mean we're not all we're not all Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah. Believe, yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> um, so this is an opportunity to educate, to educate right. within the Jewish community and beyond the Jewish community about what Sifrei Torah are, mm. why they are so critically important to us. I mean, the idea to to those who to whom I was explaining it that we don't touch it, you know, and that we that we kiss it when it comes around, and that we would fast if it fell on the floor. I mean, these are all such wild ideas to them. But to explain why, why is that? I mean, what does it mean to us? That was number one. Okay. And because we believe that through educating, and that's how people come to respect right. and to ultimately understand. And then number two is to make a statement about hatred and, to- and intolerance right. of, of any sort. And that we as a Jewish community, we, we know what it feels like. Historically, we've known what it feels like. Right. But quite honestly, over the past few decades, you know, it just hasn't impacted us quite as much. Well, now that it has, it's time for us to get out there on the front lines and make a statement that we, we, we are going to be active in ensuring that this doesn't happen, not just to us, but to anybody going forward. You know, so, I'm sorry, I was about to say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's something that just occurs to me, and unfortunately we only have a couple minutes left, and I have so many other things that I want to ask you. But one thing I want to ask you is you're a grad of U of P, and you're a grad of Harvard, and you've also, you have, you have Smicha from Reitz. And so to say that you've seen the world and you've been on multiple campuses is, is an understatement. Have you ever, in your past, ha, had you ever incurred moments of, of such severe anti-Semitism like you did that weekend? Absolutely not. Wow. Never. I, I've seen anti-Israel sentiment right. before, but, but never anything that came close to this. No, I mean, such blatant hatred. Un- unbelievable. Uh, I, I took the following Shabbos. I was at one of the shuls here on Chase Svard, and I, they gave me an aliyah. And so I went up to, to, 
to get my aliyah and you know, looked inside the Torah and, and mm. made my bracha. And I went up to the rabbi afterwards and I said, that was just, that was an out-of-body experience. Uh. The last time I looked into a Sefer Torah, it, right. it didn't look like that. Aye. Yeah. I, 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 I want, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm not being dramatic, but did you bench Gomel? Um, we did not. Maybe we should have. I, I'm um, wondering. But, I mean, this is, this was a real threat. This was a right. real, this was, this was a, an, a, this was not somebody, you know, yelling at something to you on the street. This was right. this was an act of hatred. This was a real crime. I, I um, it's yeah, funny. I wonder if I had been. Right. In, I'd wonder if I had been in your situation, um, if I would have thought about doing that. Now, I also just want to make mention that you recently returned exhaustedly from Washington D.C., where the North American Jewish Day School Conference was presented, and I know that you, um, uh, you presented uh, teaching ancient texts to 21st century kids, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal title i i wonder by the way how many times you thought about that safer tour when you were making this presentation yeah. <laughs> it is it is rather ironic um but no that was you know it was something slightly different there was really about what we're doing in our classrooms not so much the sifre torah you know that are in our um our own kodesh but uh but it was it was a phenomenal experience and uh what the, the purpose there was to share some of the i think rather out of the box and kind of um cutting-edge types of approaches that we're trying to experiment with and develop here in terms of, uh, of teaching in a rigorous way, you know, Limude Kodesh, in a way that really speaks to kids today and that doesn't compromise what we want them to gain in terms of, of um, reading skills and, uh, you know, and text skills, but at the same time increases the, the degree of relevance they see in the text, the, uh, the um, affective element, and ultimately the desire that they have to do this more and to do it more often. Wow. So. Well, <clears throat> call a kavod to you, Rabbi Dr. Gil Pearl from the Margolin Hebrew Academy in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, the event is called Hatred and Holy Books. It's being held February 11th at the Baron Hirsch Synagogue, correct? That is correct. And people who need information can go to... To either our website or they can email us at info at m h a f as in Frank y o s as in Sam dot org info at m h a f y o s dot org. Okay, and we'll be posting that out on and we'll be tweeting that out during the show. Uh, I was about to say probably in a couple of minutes when the show is over, so that people who want more information can definitely find out about it. Call a kavod to you and. Um, Dr. Pearl, I look forward, or Rabbi Pearl at this moment, I look forward to having you on. We'll talk about something lighter next time. I'm looking forward as well. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. You've been listening to That's Life on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am Miriam Elwal. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's go through the roundup for the rest of the day because you know what starts here at 5 o'clock. But before then, let's make sure that that you stay tuned for Randy. She She hosts something to talk about starting right after the show at 3 p.m., followed by an encore presentation of Rivka Abbey. And then, if there was a drum roll of rum, nothing. All right, I got no drum Well, all right, I'll tell you beforehand. Sorry, come on, work with me. Starting 5 p.m. tonight, live programming from the Orthodox Union as the Nachum Siegel Network and the Orthodox Union present Battle of the Ages, a ping-pong tournament live on the air, starring Shomerit Shabbat table tennis phenom and West Hempstead native, 11-year-old Esti Ackerman against Ellie Hagler, host of the Jewish Reaction, assistant director of Yachad, and I can say this with a straight face, at least I will try, 1998 Stay Hamid ping pong champion. <laughs> nope, can't say it with a straight face. I really tried, I promise. But no, it wasn't happening. Anyway, Ellie will host the Jewish Reaction live from the OU starting at 5. The ping pong tournament, which will have play-by-play during the stunt show, brought to you by Daniel Gordon, will start at 6. 7 o'clock, Thursday Night Extravaganza, live from the OU, hosted, as we know, by Nachum. 8 o'clock, live Michael Fragan from the OU, and uh, followed by a live Charlie Harari with Book of Life, all from the OU. So that's 5 to 10 p.m., only on the stream at NachumSiegel.com, and uh, you should make sure to tune in. It is going to be a hoot and a half. Also, you should know that we will be we will be for the first time we will be streaming and providing full video real time coverage of the event. You can go to our Facebook page. You can check our tweets. We will have links on there. You can also go to my Facebook page to make sure that you link on to the UStream channel right there and then, so you can watch every moment of Ellie Hagler losing 
to 11-year-old Esty Ackerman. Yes, my bet is on Esty. You should also make sure to note that all updates and news can be found on on our Twitter handle, NahumSiegelNet. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. And as always, full network schedule is available at NahumSiegel.com. Join Nahum tomorrow morning from 6 to 9 a.m. as he hosts JM in the AM. And he gives you a full, full morning after Monday morning quarterback moment of what it was like at the ping pong tournament. And then at 9 a.m., it'll be the second installation of Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. Don't miss Saturday Night Seagull, hosted by our one and only of Rami Matze Shabbos at 10 p.m. He will have the Rosh Chodesh Adar show. I know he is looking forward to that. Adar should be, please God, a good month for all of us. Check on the programming schedule on our website to hear all we have available during the week. This show will be rebroadcast Sunday at 1 p.m. on NahumSiegel.com. I'd like to thank my guest, Azriel Gans. You can contact OHEL for any information about becoming a foster parent. And to Rabbi Dr. Gil Pearl of the Margolin Hebrew Academy and the Feinstone Yeshiva of the South, make sure to get more information about their event February 11th, Hatred and Holy Books, available directly from their website. I'd like to thank Avrami. I'd like to thank Duke, and of course, I'd like to thank Yael Lassen, all who helped me put the show together. I leave you today with Never Say Never by the Maccabees, which is actually uh, the Maccabees covering Justin Bieber. It is my shout-out to Ellie Hagler. Never say never. You may actually score a point, Hagler. You may actually score a point, or you may actually learn never to challenge Esty Ackerman (laughs) in a ping-pong tournament ever again. That's life, everybody. Bye, folks. Never say never. Yeah. Never, never, never say never. See, I never thought that I could walk through fire. I never thought that I could take the burn. I never had the strength to take it higher. Until I reach the point of no return Well, there's just no turning back When your heart's under attack I will give everything I have It's my destiny Strong enough to climb the highest tower And I'm fast enough to run across the sea Yeah, well there's just no turning back When your heart's under attack I will give everything I have Cause this is my destiny
never say never. Net never say never. Net never say never. Net never say never. And never say never. Net never say never. Net never say never. Net never say never. And never say never.